put things in context as far as the message is concerned. We know we've been doing a series in Isaiah 40 through 48. And if you turn with me to Isaiah, we won't be there this morning, but this kind of lets you know why we're going to take a bit of an excursion from that. Isaiah 40, and the next passage for me to address is 11. And it says, get yourself up on a mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arms, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom, he will gently lead the nursing ewes. And so as I thought about that, I do leave um, Friday, day after Thanksgiving, for Zambia and Africa. I'll be there for three weeks, ministering in both countries, and a combination of preaching, conferences, um, leadership development, and a number of other things. Um, Then I'm back. We fly back in December 18th. We have our Christmas party the 18th, Joanne and I. And then I preach on the 19th for the next three weeks. And I just thought that's really leading up to Christmas. And notice what the text says. Um, Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. And so I thought, let me just wait for that time to preach this passage and it can be consecutively. And that made better sense. So that's the reason we aren't back in Isaiah. Um, But here's a wonderful text that we're going to look at. Turn with me now to the Psalms. This will be our text for this morning. And what we're going to do is um, actually Psalm 138. I've actually modified it. So I'm going to try to preach this in about 35 to 40 minutes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, she says right. Um, and the reason being, I'd love for us afterwards being Thursday, that when I'm done, um, that we can spend some time sharing the reasons that we can be thankful, okay? Um, reasons for us to be thankful. Psalm 138. Now, let me read that, since that is our text for this morning. Psalm 138, and it reads, I will give thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth will give thanks to you, O Lord, when they have heard the words of your mouth. And they will sing of the ways of the Lord. And for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is yet, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the work of of your hands. A wonderful song of thanksgiving, isn't it? And throughout, we see that David is crying out from his whole heart, he says, that he would have a thankful heart for a faithful God. 
And that is the title of the message, A Thankful Heart for a Faithful God. And we might even say um, thankfulness for faithfulness. And that's really what is being communicated here. And what I'd like to do is give you five responses of a thankful heart. And these five responses, God, uh, we come to this Thanksgiving season as you will celebrate in whatever manner your traditions have you on Thursday. Um, the question for us is that we all must be thankful people and not just during a given season, but we should be thankful people consistently, should we not? And the reason we should be thankful consistently because our thankfulness is directed towards a God, a God that is unchanging, a God that is worthy, a God that is worthy of our worship. And therefore, uh, every day should be a thankful day, should it not? And Thanksgiving should not be based on circumstances. If your circumstances dictated your thankfulness, would you be thankful every day? Well, <laughs> would you? That's a wonderful answer. But <laughs> if you're obedient, yes. But if the circumstances dictated it, you might say no. But we can't base Iris or based on circumstances. Circumstances fluctuate, do they not? And we have highs and we have lows and we at times have sort of middle ground, if you will. But our praise must always be something that's exuberant. It should always be consistent. It should always be something that really comes from the heart. And so let's look at these five ways, our five responses of a thankful heart. And let me give you the outline now, and then we'll work our way through it. So I'll give you the outline before we begin in number one. And it is this, verses one and two, a thankful heart responds with complete resolve. A thankful heart responds with complete resolve. So we might simply say thankfulness and complete resolve. Second response would be this, verse 3, a thankful heart responds to God's concern and renewal. Concern and renewal. I know God has a concern for me. I know that God renews me. Let me be thankful. Then we might say this thirdly about a thankful heart, verses 4 through 6, A thankful heart responds to God's humble greatness, humble greatness. And and we need to understand that. And I've chosen those words uh, for a reason, as we should um, anyway. It's not as if I didn't choose the other words for a reason. But humble greatness, you'll see it in verses 4 and 6. Why humble greatness? And then here's a fourth consideration, a fourth response. It's simply verse 7. A thankful heart responds to God's help in trials. Have you ever been through a trial? (laughs) Uh, Has God not been your help? We should be thankful. And then number five, how does a thankful heart respond because of God's faithfulness? Verse eight, heart responds to God's sovereign plan, his sovereign plan. So a thankful heart completely resolved, a thankful heart responds to concern and renewal, a thankful heart responds to humble greatness, a thankful heart responds because God helps in the midst of trials, a thankful heart responds because a thankful heart realizes that God has a sovereign plan. So let's get in right away. Number one, a thankful heart responds with complete resolve. Notice what the text says, I will give thanks with all my what? What does it say? Heart. Here's the resolve. Now, before we go further, I want you to know something else about verses 1 and 2. Verse is 1 and 2. Notice the language. 
I will give thanks. Then it says, verse 2, I will sing praises. Then it says, I will bow down. And then he goes back to say, I will give thanks. So I'll give thanks. I will praise. I will bow down. I, in fact, will give thanks. And there's some other key words that we need to understand if we, as we work through this psalm. Notice he says in verse 3, I called, and then the Lord answered. And then what does the Lord do? He made me bold. And then notice he, he begins to, um, in one sense, help us understand even more so the reason for this thankful heart. Notice verse, verse 5, for, and then verse 6, for, and then verse 6, yet, and then verse 6, but, and in verse 7, though. And I always look for words like this to help me understand the flow of thought. So it says, for great is the Lord, or great is the glory of God. For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, but he is distant from the haughty. Though I'm in the midst of difficulty, you revive me. And what else does the Lord do? Now, actions towards David. And this is, in fact, a psalm of David. Uh, verse 3, he answered me. Verse 3, he made me bold. Uh, verse 6, and not just David, but all those who are humble, he regards as the opposite of those that are humble are the haughty or the proud. He knows them from afar. But for David, verse 7, he revives. For David, what does he do? He stretches forth his hand. For David, what does he do? Verse 7, he saves me. And for David, what does he do? Verse 8, he will accomplish all for me. And then we also learn about God and why, in fact, he is a faithful God. What do we learn about God even in this text? In verse 2, we will learn a bit about his loving kindness and his truth. We will see how his word and his name are magnified above all else. We see in verse 7 that great is the glory. We'll notice in verse 6 that Yahweh is exalted. And then we'll notice in verse 7, his right hand. This is this idea, his right hand of power is what saves. And then it comes back to this thought of loving kindness again in verse 8. Your loving kindness is everlasting. Don't forsake me. So, of course, we should be a thankful people when we consider that we serve a faithful God a God who cannot possibly fail us. And therefore, if we know that God cannot possibly fail, how can I not have a heart that is thankful? Thankfulness is an act of worship. And we are called to worship a God that is worthy of our attention, of our affection, of our resources, of our thoughts. And what does the scripture tell us? That you're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul and with all your strength. So it's here when we think about it is complete resolve. It is complete resolve because he says with all my heart. Now, we spend our earthly days here uh, striving for this reality. What do I mean by that? Striving for this reality, I mean that we strive in this life that we can give God our all. Has anyone here arrived where they can say, I give him absolutely, totally, unequivocally, I give him my all? No one. Do we all want that? I would think that we do. We want to be able to say, yes, indeed, I love you with all my strength and my mind and my soul and my heart. I want to give you my all. And so what the psalmist says, with all my heart, he is just saying as much as I possibly can, as it is reasonable, 
as is what this life will allow me as I still battle with the flesh, I want to give thanks to you with a heart. And this is why the scripture tells us consistently that we're to seek the Lord with all of our heart. And he would say, if you strive for me with all of your heart, then I will be found. Now, the implication of that is at times you may not give him your what? Your all. You may not give him your heart. Israel, um, as we've been noticing, even in our study in Isaiah, was a nation that God said, if you would just strive for me with all of your heart, you would be a light to the nation. But they were not. And this is why the scripture would tell us that Christ is to to dwell in our heart and he's to take residence in our heart is a language. The language of dwelling means that he is to take up his residence in every aspect of our life. And we can tend to close off certain doors from the Lord. Um, And we do this in our home. At least that is fairly reasonable when you have guests over, and at least we do, and I don't think it's rude. I just think it's the norm. Don't you close certain doors? Yes. Of course you do. <laughs> A resounding yes. You close certain doors. You say, well, they're coming over. We'll be in the living room, in the dining room. We'll have our meal here. Maybe we'll have some tea and we'll have some coffee. But you go around and close certain doors. Now, there's certain reasons that we close certain doors as well. And you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Because you don't want anyone looking in. You see, it's a bit untidy. <laughs> he says locked here. Dead bolted. <laughs> we don't want them to have full access to the home. Now, of course, if it's a family member or someone that you know well, and I've, I've been, I've stayed and it's, I'm privileged to stay more when I travel and they'll treat me like a family and they'll say, whatever is mine is yours. Pasture doesn't matter. The refrigerator, there's a bunch of stuff here. If you want to get up and eat, you can have that. Here's this. Uh, just treat it like your own home. And they're essentially saying you have access to what? Everything. <laughs> And so with the Lord, if we say all of our heart, we can have no what? Closed doors. We have to give him full access. Well, Lord, I will give you access, but only in this area. I'll give you access, but these emotions I have to keep close to me. I'll give you access, but you know, I really sort of need this. In my life, it satisfies me. I will be sanctified up to this point, but not any further. I'll give you access to some of my resources, but not all resources. I'll give you access and you can dictate to me and you can counsel me in the relationship that I should have. But I think I can handle the relationship area. No, he says every aspect of life all of the heart. And this is what David is saying. I will give you thanks with all my heart. And of course, all my heart, because consider all that the Lord has done for us. And notice what else he says. I will sing praises to you before the gods. Now that sounds strange before the gods. Now, um, commentators differ on this, uh, because when it says before the gods, it actually could mean before the rulers. And what he's saying, uh, before the rulers of Israel, um, and even some that might be in the nations, I will give thanks to you and praise you. And they would recognize that Yahweh is the only true God. 
So it could mean that, and the word can carry this idea, he's a ruler, if you will. Or it could mean that he is talking about the nations who have fought against him, and I'm going to praise you before all of their false gods, and when I praise you before all of their false gods, it is a declaration that their gods could not deliver because Yahweh is a superior God. And actually one could go perhaps both ways, and maybe perhaps leaning towards the idea of this same rulers, because the next thought ties into it fairly closely. Notice verse two, I will bow down towards your holy temple. So now that is the tabernacle. So I'm going to praise you before all the rulers. They're going to recognize that you, Yahweh, have been the one who has delivered me. And I will turn towards your tabernacle as I'm offering praises. And then we will do it together. And then notice what he, he says in verse two. He goes back to giving thanks. And give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. The scripture tells us about God's loving kindness. It says that it reaches to the heavens and God's truth reaches to the skies. Even consider some texts that tell us about his loving kindness. And I have them there for you. Exodus 34 and 6. Exodus 34 and 6 says that God is slow to anger and he is abounding in loving kindness and truth. Second Samuel 2 and 6 says this. Now may the Lord show loving kindness and truth to you. Psalm 25, it says, this turn there with me, Psalm 25 in verse 10, and it says, the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant, who keep his covenant. So there is a condition here. I didn't get that. Oh, oh, my word. (laughs) What is your wife's name? This is really annoying. <laughs> yeah, really, I've got to remember to turn off Siri. And that tells you something, doesn't it? Wow. She needs to be saved. Yeah, amen. Oh, my word. So notice the paths of the Lord are loving, kindness, and truth. To those who keep his covenant, there is a condition. And this ties into the thought, all my heart, uh, those that are in covenant. Psalm 61 and 7 says what? Appoint loving kindness and truth that they may preserve him. Now notice here, loving kindness and truth, that is what? When we think loving kindness, we think covenant love. We think faithfulness. We think loyalty. We think that God is an absolutely faithful God in his love towards those who know him. And yet truth combining together a God of truth because he will, in fact, keep his promises. They will praise God will fight the psalmist battles. And he'll fight yours as well. Uh, We don't have the capacity to fight for ourselves. Some attempt it. They try it, but they grow weary. You grow tired. And ultimately, when you fight for yourself, you're saying, "Um, Lord, I discard you. I can do this on my own. I have the resources, the wisdom. I have the intellect. I have the physical power to do this. I have the emotional wherewithal to do this. And we discard the Lord. Look with me at Psalm 85. I love this text. Psalm 85. And notice what it says here, Psalm 85 and verse 10. Let's begin in verse 8. It says, He will speak peace to his people, to his godly ones, 
but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. Now hold that word in your mind. It says it is near to those who fear him. Remember later in our text that we're looking at, he says, but with the haughty, he knows them from afar. But he is what? He is near to those who fear him. And it says that glory may dwell in our land. Loving kindness and truth have met. Righteousness and peace have kissed one another. And it's really another way of saying these elements where God saves his people, they're in absolute concert as he fulfills his will in your life. And then notice, if you will, Psalm 89. Um, I'm sorry, 89.14. 89.14, we looked at verse 10, so 89.14. And what does it tell us there? Love and kindness go before you, O God, and you help. Proverbs 16.6. But loving kindness and truth, by loving kindness and truth, it says here, iniquity is atoned for. And it is the fear of the Lord to keep oneself from evil. Think about that for a moment. Loving kindness, truth, iniquity is atoned for. What does that mean? Because God is a God of of covenant love, of faithful love, but yet when truth are met with one another, that is truth, he must act truthfully, he must act righteously. These two meet together in the cross, in sacrifice, and this is how atonement comes about. Some would say that atonement is simply this. Atonement is simply that we recognize the love of God. And surely we should recognize the love of God, but what about truth? And some would say, surely a God who loves so much is going to redeem kind. No, not in God's design. He does not. Because now truth must be reckoned with, if you will. This is why he is a God of holiness and a God of love at the same time. This is why he is a God of wrath, but also a God of truth. They must always be in concert, as a matter of fact. They cannot be out of concert because nothing is consistent with God. Go back to Psalm 138. Notice what it says here. For you have magnified your word according to your name or above all things. And what it's saying is your name and your word are equal and they're exalted above all things. I think there is, I forget the translation. It actually says uh, you have magnified your word above your name. Unfortunate, unfortunate translation. It is not above his name. Uh, his, word, his word is not above his name because his name is a person. And his word simply represents who he is. He's saying these two together magnified above all things. This is a great God that we should say, Lord, I should be thankful with all my heart before everyone in your place of worship. This is surely a place of worship. As David said, I'm going to turn my affections toward the temple and I'm going to praise you for who you are. And as you are here today and as you gather, you should be a people that would say, let me praise the living God. He has been good to me. So I ask you a question. Has God been good to you? Amen. He is. In so many ways, has he not? And this is why the psalmist says constantly, consistently throughout, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is what? For his loving kindness is what? Everlasting, lasts forever. Good. Goodness, again, essential goodness is simply an eternal reality when it comes to God. That cannot change. Either God is good or he is not. 
Some would question his goodness because they would say, how can a good God, and you could probably fill in the blank, can't you? How can a good God allow that to happen? Why does a good God allow pain? Why does a good God allow difficulty? Why is there uh, evil in the world? God is good. Just the fact that you have breath to even question his goodness is an expression of goodness, is it not? For the atheist and the agnostic and some pagan that questions the living God and his ways, uh, their life is an expression of goodness. So he says, our second response, it will notice a thankful heart responds to God's concern and renewal. Notice what it says. Verse 3, on the day I called, you answered me. And he's not, some would say, is he talking about a particular incident? Uh, David is looking at this one example. Um, I think he is looking at perhaps one, but he's saying all of my life, I called in the Lord and he did what? He answered me. And we see this throughout the life of David, do you not? But pause for a second when it says that he answered me. He doesn't always answer according to our schedule. Have you ever noticed that in life? Absolutely. You say, Lord, I called. Sometimes people will say to me, or I have to apologize. Someone will write me or email me or text me. And I say, sorry for the what? Delayed response. And some people get a little edgy if I haven't responded to them uh, in an appropriate amount of time. And honestly, I've been that way as well. Why is it taking you so long to get back to me? With the Lord, there is but one timetable, amen? And that is a divine timetable. And his answers are always right on time. Delayed at times but always sovereignly appropriate. And notice Psalm 102, if you would. Psalm 102. Um, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry for help come up to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. And the day when I call, answer me. Notice what he says, quickly. For my days become consumed in smoke, and my bones have been scorched like a hearth. My heart has been smitten like grass and withered away. Indeed, I forget to eat my bread because of the loud my bones cling to my flesh. I resemble a pelican in the wilderness. I become like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I become like a lonely bird on a housetop. My enemies have reproached me all day long. Those who deride me have used my name as a curse for I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping because of your indignation and your wrath, for you have lifted me up and cast me away. My days are like a Lenten shadow, he says, and I wither away like grass. That doesn't sound like you're answering. It doesn't sound like God is a good God. It doesn't, this doesn't sound like covenant loyalty, but it is. So the same, if we think about this, here is David that, that communicates this prayer. I called and you answered, but at times David would write, I called and I wondered, where are you? And at times the psalmist indeed says as well, how long, O Lord, shall I wait? How long, how long, how long? 
but he does answer in an appropriate time. Notice what else he says in verse 3. You made me bold with strength in my soul. Um, And if anything one needs in life when they're facing difficulty is a sense of boldness. Paul wanted boldness, and this is why he even asked for the church at Ephesus to pray for him, that he would be boldly and he would speak as he ought to speak. Today we're missing, I think, in leadership men uh, that are bold, that are in pulpits because they, they don't have convictions that take hold of their lives so that when difficulties come or when pressures come, they can speak boldly. But he says, Lord, you made me give me strength. Here's our third response. Notice it. The third response, verses four through six. A thankful heart responds to God's humble greatness. He says, all the kings of the earth will give thanks to you, O Lord. When they have heard the words of your mouth, they will sing of the ways of the Lord. And I think what David is saying here, there is an evangelistic thrust here. He's saying, by my testimony and the testimony of Israel, all the kings of the earth will hear about it, and they will sing praises to you as well. They will join us. And why will they join? Because notice he gives some of the rationale for it. Why will they join? Verse 5, for great is the glory of the Lord. And remember, we've talked about uh, what does it mean, the glory of the Lord? This uh, consummation, if you will, the, the fullness of all the attributes of God. And we think about his glory. We can think about it, uh, see, and we can recognize what we think about God's glory in something that is done. It is all of his perfections. Great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is exalted, notice the transition though, yet he regards the lowly. And this is a wonderful picture. Go with me to Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57. And this is one of the better places to understand it. Uh, Isaiah 57. This idea, how can God be a God that's exalted but also with the lowly? And this has always been the heart of God from creation itself. Here is God self-sufficient in need of nothing but himself, but yet God decided to do what? To create, and he created humans, and those humans fail, but yet God has been doing what throughout history? Striving in his sovereign plan to reconcile man to himself, and men have been doing just the opposite. They're shred reconciliation with God. But notice Isaiah 57, and one of my favorite texts, and it says in verse 15, For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit. So right away we pause. Uh, Look at what David communicates here. Yes, great is your glory. Your name is exalted, but yet you are with the lowly. And David in one sense is seeing himself as one of the lowly. I'm going through difficulty and heartache and pain, and I realize that you have met me. And we see here in in Isaiah 57, although God is high and exalted, and this idea, high and exalted, we only see it really three times in the Old Testament, and all three times are in um, Isaiah. Isaiah here, 56, because he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and also Isaiah 57. Um, two, because it talks about the servant will be high and lifted up. And here, high and lifted up, but also with those who are lowly of spirit. So there again is a condition. 
So we, we see beautifully um, in harmony here. Here is a God that is high and lifted up. We see the transcendence of God, God, the otherness of God. But we also see the eminence of God, a God who is with his people, but with those who are, whole, who are lowly. That is, humility is absolutely required. And David, we see throughout his difficulties, was humble. Now, here's a reality. Especially if you look through the book of Isaiah, uh, either people will be humble or be humbled. Do you think that's true in life? Yes, indeed. We can come to grips with it ourselves that we must humble ourselves or either God will humble us. And I think we probably have been on both sides of that fence, if you will. We recognize our need to be humble. and other occasions, God has to humble us because we don't see our need. To be humble can be painful, can it not? It can be humiliating. But yet what is beautiful about it, God says, I look for those who have sense enough to recognize their need. And although I'm this exalted God, I'll be there with them. That's humble greatness. You should be thankful that this is our God. Here is a God that's so exalted and so different and so distinct, who is absolutely eternal. But he says, if you would just humble yourself, I'll be there with you. Promise um, and a promise that he made to the church. And he says, I go and I prepare a place for you. Did he not? Do we believe that? And this is what the scripture also tells us, and it is this, through the book of Hebrews, it says, another promise from that great high priest, I will never leave you or what? Forsake you, lo, I am with you, even until the end of the age. Then either we can believe that or not, and recognize that I should be thankful because my God supports me. Notice verse 7, go back to Psalm 138. Psalm 138, notice verse 7. So he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. And it's simply saying, those who are proud, he has no relationship to them. And you remember the text that we looked at earlier? He is near to those who fear him. He is far from those who do not. So here he, he, he makes this statement. Yes, he's great. He's exalted. He regards the lowly. He distanced himself from those who are proud, verse 7, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. So you, we should be thankful for what? Because God, a thankful heart responds to God who helps in trials. Go with me to Psalm 18. And I look at some Psalms here that communicate this as well. Psalm 18. This thing keeps falling down. Here's Psalm 18, verse 35. Psalm 18, 35 says what? You have also given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand upholds me and your gentleness makes me great. You enlarge steps under me and my feet have not slipped. Why? Because if you look at the other verb of this psalm, notice if you will, verse 39, you girded me, you subdued under me those who rose up against me. Uh, Verse 40, you also made my enemies turn their backs to me. Verse 43, you delivered me. Verse 43, you have placed me as head of the nations. Notice verse 17. I'm sorry, verse 47. 
the God who executes vengeance for me, who subdues people under me. Verse 48, who delivers me. Verse 48, who rescues me. And then verse 50, he gives great deliverance to his king and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and to his descendants forever. So be thankful. In trials. Psalm 63 says his right hand upholds me. But what sort of trials in life? Trials come in all sorts of categories, do they not? I mean, they're trials that we face. Uh, they're trials that may come because of genuine persecution because of our belief. Uh, there's trials that one faces when there's heartache in life that comes our way. But it doesn't matter. Whatever we face in life, God is there with us. You remember um, Paul as Paul, remember him three times praying to the Lord that the thorn in the flesh would be removed. In the end, what was Paul's resolve? And his resolve comes from a word from the Lord that says what? He realized that his grace was sufficient. In the midst of trial, it is not a removal from the trial, but it's sufficient grace in the midst of the trial so that we can come out on the other side having in, in the midst of it a thankful heart and the other side a thankful heart. If you don't trust the living God and his loving kindness towards you, you will grow bitter. Have you ever known bitter in life? Because they, they say, because look what you've dealt me in life. Look what you've caused me to go through in life. But they forget the love and kindness of God. And especially for the Christian. Especially for the Christian. It doesn't mean that you don't go through difficulty. We see it throughout the psalmist. All sorts of difficulties in so many ways. But in the midst of them, God is a God who rescues and helps and delivers and supports and offers grace. And we say to ourselves... If God loved me so much, why would he allow this to happen? The question for us is this. Why does he love me at all? Why does he love me at all? Why does he supply me with anything at all? Why, when I, um, an unbeliever, why why would he seek me out? Why would he call me to himself? Why would he orchestrate the the circumstances of my life to bring me to faith in the living God? Why would he send that person to me to share the gospel? Why would I be in that place where I heard the message and I would realize that I needed to come to Christ and I, in fact, was a sinner? See, that's the question we have to ask. Why would he show me any graciousness at all? Because he's a God of love and kindness, a God of goodness, a God of mercy. This is why. And for this, our heart should be thankful. Um, You know what is a tragedy? I mean, there are many tragedies in the world, so I'll say that. Um, Do you know one tragedy? And it is this. I'll ask you if you you agree with me or not. Um, For the believer, that is a genuine believer. You've been to be discontent in life. A tragedy. A tragedy. For a believer who has experienced the grace of God and the grace of God that you realize that you have escaped eternal separation from the living God. You are on the other side of wrath and for you not to be thankful. So the question would be, uh, what, 
What possibly could one experience in life that would overshadow your salvation? What, what, what would it be? Heartache? Yes, no one is saying that you don't experience heartache. We all experience heartache at, at certain levels and certain degrees. Tragedy in life, something that you didn't see coming, and it hits you hard in life. Absolutely, we know that that occurs in life, but could it possibly overshadow the fact that you have eternity awaiting you where you will spend the rest of your life with the living God? And your sins are forgiven because what? Loving kindness and truth have atoned for your egregious sins against God. And for a believer not to be thankful. For us to come and gather and regardless of what you've been through in life to say, yes, this hurts, but I can still be thankful. Now, notice what I just said. Because some people might propose that if you're going to be thankful, then life doesn't hurt you. They may propose there's a brother that lost his dear wife. He was um, ministers in uh, Spain, and he was here for a shepherd's conference. And, um, and I pray for him quite often. He's in my prayer list because he learned that his wife was ill, didn't get back there in time. And, um, you know, kids, and all of a sudden, heartache. Heartache. And he's in my list, and I'll pray for Daniel, and he comes up, and I'll just have it there, and I'll pray for him, because I'll see him post every once in a while. You know, he still misses his wife. Of course. But does that mean like him or any other, because cannot still be thankful? Of course you can be. You must be, actually. You go through some other heartache in life, trial in life, can you still be thankful? Absolutely. Because thankfulness is based on the goodness of God. His love and kindness, which is everlasting. Thankfulness is based on the reality that the living God has decided that he would shower you with mercy and kindness and goodness. Change that. And this leads us to this final response. Notice what it says here in verse 8. Verse 8, the final response is this. Um, Psalm 138, verse 8. So David says, in the midst of trouble, you're going to revive me. You're going to stretch forth your hand against my enemies. Your right hand, this sense of power will save me. Then notice verse 8, a thankful heart responds to God's sovereign plan. And we might even say sovereign life plan. Perhaps we can state it that way. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Don't forsake, don't fail the work of your hands. Just this last thought. I like the wording. Notice what it says. Will accomplish what concerns me. Um, The scripture tells us in Philippians, right? He who began a good work in you will do what? He will complete the good work, will he not? He would complete that good work. Um, the scripture tells us elsewhere that we go through trials, and those trials, whether it be in Romans 5, whether it be in the book of Peter, tells us that those trials do what for our life? What do they build up? Tell me, what do they build up? Character. Perseverance. 
It brings about Christ-likeness in our lives. So the question is this, so let's follow that logic. How many of you that know the Lord Jesus Christ today would say, I really want to be more like Christ? Can you say amen? Amen, amen. Amen. But the moment you say amen to that, you must also say amen to what? Trials. Trials, difficulty. Be like the psalmist. God will accomplish what concerns me. How will he accomplish it? Sometimes through the difficulty and the heartache and the trials of life. If you want Christ's likeness, how can you be different than Christ himself? And Christ himself, it says of Christ himself, he learned obedience from the things in which he suffered. Now, do we go looking for trials? No. As a matter of fact, there's no need. You don't have to go looking for them because they will do what? They will find you. Were they not? Anyone ever been found by a trial? (laughs) They will find you. You don't have to go searching for them. Don't go creating them. They will find you in God's sovereign, perfect time. And they will last accordingly. This is too long. No, because the scripture tells us what? He has given us grace, has he not? With everything that we're facing in life. His grace is sufficient. Whatever you face. So you say be thankful. How can a Christian not be thankful? You're redeemed. When this life is over and all of this madness you can leave behind. You will be in the presence of the living God. How can you not be thankful? Your sins which were many. They were laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And he paid for your sins. It was loving kindness and truth together. That atoned for you. It was the exalted one. Who in fact humbled himself to the point of death. Even death on the cross. And you would not be thankful. You must be. He will accomplish his plan. In your life. But in order to accomplish it, it takes sometimes a hard road. And that road will be no different than any other saint that is in the ages. And why do you propose that your life will be different than any other person? I've not read one person worth reading. Notice that. (laughs) I've not read one person worth reading listening to that hasn't faced what? Heartache and pain. Tell me someone. Anyone in the Bible. Give me a name. Who Do you like Daniel? Trial. Do you like Moses? Trial. Do you, you appreciate Paul? Trial. Do you appreciate David? Trial. Let's get outside of uh, biblical history. Do you like uh, Martin Luther trial? Do you appreciate Calvin trial? Do you love the the work that God has used through a HUD trial? Amy Carmichael trial. Name someone that's worth reading, that's worth having in your bookshelf that didn't go through difficulty. It doesn't exist. But what you will also find about these people, they had a thankful attitude because they realized, oh my, what a privilege to suffer like Christ. So this Thanksgiving, do you have reason to be thankful? You do. You do. 
Um, Father, thank you for your word you give us. You are so good and kind. Give us grace to hear in Christ's name. Amen.